Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress. Thank you to UFIT MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for supporting this episode. Their info is in the description below. This is Dr. Bo Nelson. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at FHE Health in Deerfield Beach, Florida. For over 20 years, FHE Health has been providing quality substance abuse and mental health services. An important part of our work is our Shatterproof program that works with first responders. We treat police, fire, EMS, military, and corrections officers in an environment that is supportive of them. We have a staff of trained professionals who understand the issues that first responders go through. Some of our staff are former first responders. We also have an innovative neurotherapy program that actually gets to the root of the problems that are faced by our first responders. This can include PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. At FHE Health, our Shatterproof program is designed to help the people who help others. We are committed to the first responder population, and we offer hope and healing. All right, guys, jumping back in with part two from last week. Don't want you to miss a second, so I started it right where we left off last time. I hope you enjoy. We'll see you. So that's what I learned from the old days. Now, you know, as we will speak about, everything changed. Yes. Back to uh, the... Yeah, so tell us about what happened with Mr. Barnes. <laughs> yeah, Mr., uh, I love this story. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez, uh, Deputy Inspector Gonzalez, uh, says make sure my gun is fully loaded before I return to the neighborhood where I live. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Captain Murphy still insists, well, wait, the heck, what the heck, what are I doing there? I said, I live there. One of the officers says to him, unfortunately, with, with the salary that he made... He can't live nowhere else. Do you remember what the starting salary was at NYPD? Uh, $25,786. And that was 88? 1988. 1988. I graduated in January 1988. So in a very academic. expensive place. Okay. So he told the captain, unfortunately, with the salary that he made, he can't live, you know, in a, a, a much better place. He, say, he says he says many times that he lives there because he's still, he's still questioning what was I doing there. Right. And on many occasions, I tell him I live there. In any case, what I found out later on, Eugene Murphy, the captain, was on somebody's, uh, you know, uh, bad list, mm-hmm. another higher-ranking member, that he happened to have an argument with her, with his, with the chief, some chief wives over oh, a parking spot. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> you see the story? Yes. And she took his number down. <laughs> she took, you know, some chief wife. So he called me a B, you know. So he, that chief... Supposedly, Coming had, after him. must have been an NYPD officer. Call him, say, listen, that was my wife you called B. <laughs> you know, and you know, we 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 you know we're gonna get to the bottom of this. So as long as I'm up there, you're always gonna remain where you're at. Yep. So captain is uh, after a captain you take a promotional exam, but after a captain is the discretionary of the police commissioner and of course recommendation with other chiefs so you can move up. So he's 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 somebody's crippled list. So he's taken out on me that day. Wow. Because nobody could understand why you're chewing a, a, a legitimate shooting. Sure. You're chewing me worse than the prison. He's asking what's the condition of the prison over the radio mm-hmm. every like every 30 minutes. But yet never asked me, how, how am I feeling? Okay. Wow. It was kind of depressing and, 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 and depressing and at the same time impressive with the other officers that, you know, stand by me. Well, it's also a lesson on what not to do when you move up the ranks. Yes. Uh uh, I'm a, like I said, uh, the highest ranking guy was Edmund Gonzalez, and he says, you know, I was that feeling coming down. I feel like I was gonna get locked up. When he says, I want you to go home. When you go home, I want you to make sure your weapon is fully loaded. Mm-hmm. So get about three more rounds from other cops here. Make sure your gun is loaded when you go home. He says, you have any backup ammo? I said, no, sir. That's all I had, just the gun itself, uh, with no backup ammo. So that was uh, a very, very, very supporting act. And Absolutely. courteous word coming from the highest ranking person. Good leader. Yeah, good leader there. And then I went to the precincts at the, you know, upstairs, and the detective stopped by every minute, every minute, you know, hey, listen, why don't you get transferred here? We need a guy like you to help us, you know, help us, you know, monitor this neighborhood. And Captain Hosman came to work the next morning, my commanding officer from the 2 6. Of course, they briefed him on the incident. One of your rookies got, you know, uh, because my command was notified mm-hmm. right away. And he, I don't know how he got that from, probably from Gonzalez or from somebody. 
he now have picked up the phone and called that duty captain and, and, and have it I would with him. Good for him. This is one of my kids. And uh, from, my, from what I understand, he says, and I quote, it appeared to be a good shooting while you're chewing the cake. Good for him. Uh, well, how do you feel like if I was the duty captain and then one of your kids get into an incident like this? So start. hey, listen, it, it's, it works for me. Mm-hmm. And it's new, and we don't treat the kids like this. <laughs> captain Holtzman called me at my house. The sergeant called me, and then he said, Captain Holtzman, I want to speak to you. Uh, actually, Lieutenant, Lieutenant O'Connell called me and said, Captain Holtzman, I want to speak to you. Lieutenant O'Connell was the operation lieutenant. How do you feel? And I said, fine, sir. I was sitting home. And at that time, I live alone. Captain Holtzman got on the phone. Hi, friends. I said, how are you, sir? That's when I went into trauma two days later. How did I know I went to trauma? When I'm done speaking to the captain, I find myself standing in my house at attention, the phone in my ears. I mean, <laughs> standing up, okay? I mean, my knees start shaking. He offered to send a patrol car or his own, his own detectives to monitor the house, to park in front of the house. He said, would you feel comfortable if I send a car? You know, to park there. So now I start feeling, okay, somebody's on my side. You know, right. Other than the, you know, the, the cops in the union. And from what I heard, he, you know, he, he discussed it with the, he had his, his say with that duty captain. And I came to work uh, two days later. Mm-hmm. He says, you want a few more days off? I says, no, if I'm home, I'll, I'll think more about it. I'd rather come to work. I came to work. He was, everybody was enthusiastic. People didn't even know who that kid worked here. He? <laughs> Most of the cops don't even know who I was because I'm new. You know, remember, in that 17 months, six months was training, six months was the academy. So I was in that precinct maybe in less than three or four months. Wow. Guys that was on vacation or worked different shifts didn't even know who the kid was. Hey, wow. what? He works here? I heard it on the news. But the kid worked here? Yeah, yeah, it's one of them. Yeah. What? Where? Are you kidding me? You know. So most of the people now get to know who I was. Then. Was there concern, friends, that whoever this. Barnes is connected to gang wise. Yeah, because his his partner, his partner that was with him. Yes. Did he get away? Yes, he got away until today. He still got away. And guess what? He was in the hospital. When when my uh, female partner described him over the phone also uh, to the nine one one, the bad guys is that company. This guy described him. He was at the hospital and he asked, "What's the condition of the bad guy?" Right uh-huh. to a detective. The detective says, uh, you know, he's still getting checked by the doctor. Then the detective realizes, hmm, there was a second guy. And that's the same shirt. That's the guy. By the time the detective come running, he, he bolted to the door. He was gone. Okay. But wow. he didn't, as far as I recall, he didn't have a weapon. He was more likely telling the guy, let's get out of here, man. I think he's a real cop. Let's get out of here. But the one with the gun thought he was so baldy that he has to finish the job, whatever it is. He seemed like he was more pissed that whoever was shooting that, he missed the guy or he didn't get him. And was, were they actually part of an organized gang that you knew of or found Not out that, about? No, I have no uh, idea of that. But through his religion later on, mm-hmm. of course, that what led into the, I believe, the Supreme Court uh, decision. Yes, yes. He, he says to the cops, the officer, I think the real hero to the whole story is the real, is the police officer, whom I don't even know, I don't even recall his name, that went to the hospital bedside to take the police report. Because once you get into a, a, a shooting in the city, New York City policies, they normally assign the arresting to somebody else. You okay. go for trauma and investigation and so forth. He told the arresting officer, uh, he called him, you know, names, some names, and the guy also wrote all that on his memo books. Good for him. And he told the guy, I'm, uh, the guy said, what, there's a line, say what's your religion? And that's what I think did him in. He told the guy, I'm uh, a five percenter, five percenter. <laughs> he told, he called the guy a name, you know, a red neck, whatever, you don't know how to, you know, it's 50 cents, five percenter, it's an old religion, it's an ancient religion, and from what I heard, the definition is to never surrender to a law enforcement or to a white person. Oh, wow. I believe that's what did him at the Supreme Court. Finally, because if you, twenty years if you, later, if you're gonna if you're gonna be hurting and you remember your religion, that's mean you really truly believe in your religion. 
Yes. And your religion definition, according to your definition, you was never uh -huh. gonna, you was not going to surrender the gun yes. to the officer. You you determined to do to do that officer. So that's uh, from my understanding. That's what the court come with that conclusion. Yeah, because that was not in any of the articles or anything. No. After I met you, I did you no. know of course looked it all up. And that wasn't I was in, I was in, I believe in Africa when somebody called me and tell me what happened. You know, uh, uh, with the final court decision. His lawyer, Mr. Simmons, uh, spent a lot of money, was very aggressive. The DA that prosecute, the, the, the corporation counsel lawyer from the city that was assigned there, uh, it was, uh, she was incompetent. Wow. She was incompetent. I say it today, and I'll say it in front of her. She was standing there. She was, at one point, she says, you know, I'm trying to defend you. I said, you're not defending me. You're supposed to find the truth. Mr. Simmons seemed to be more professional than you are. Well, that's sad. She said, well, you know, I'm, I'm working for you. I said, no, you don't work for me. <laughs> work for the city of New York. Yes. You know, we got into it. I said, I said, don't ask me stuff out of the contest here. I'm telling you what exactly happened. Don't ask me what else, wow. if I'm holding anything else. That's considered something wrong. Mm -hmm. I did something wrong, there's something omitted. Implying you're okay. not telling the truth. So we yeah. got into it on a way. Uh, Judge Esposito, the presiding over the case, mm -hmm. I believe did a lousy job. He was a very, very, very professional uh, uh, judge. But I think that in that case, he's, he's he, you know, he slab out, and which the papers show later on. Uh, he didn't want the gentleman to testify, you know. Really? Yeah. Uh, supposedly he's paralyzed with that. Well, he still can talk. His father, you know, testified. He's a gentleman. He's a, this and that, of course. He went under three different aliases. His name was, okay. Uh, yeah, he had police records. Yeah. <laughs> course so uh, I believe that based on his religion he must have affiliated with some groups cult what you know whatsoever I you know I didn't pursue this because this is not concern of mine I sure. did what I had to do within the law sure and I'm satisfied with that and if he had got any money so be it okay because they had dropped the lawsuit against me see that was pretty smart of his lawyer Oh, and, uh, yeah, because what are we going to get from a... No, because yeah. the jury will feel sorry for you. Yes. They won't feel sorry for the city. Right. But the first thing they do, they, 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 they decline to sue you, but they will sue the city. Yep. Uh, the jury in the Bronx, of course, where I'll say the Bronx community at that time, until today perhaps, even the district attorney, mm -hmm. they were very anti-cops. When I say anti-cops, whether the cops did something within the book, whether mm -hmm. it was my case or other cases, they still try to nail the cops. That's why they awarded this gentleman $76 million to start it with. My understanding, one of the city's lawyer asked the jury, what make you come up with, that, with that money? Not only that money, the officer testified, do you believe him? My understanding was, yes, but he's in one piece. The officer is in one piece, the young man is paralyzed. So he felt bad for So him. I believe the... At that time, uh, Mr. London, Stuart London, he was a very sharp lawyer too. He told them, "So you, you so you saying that you, if the officer was dead, mm. that's when you'll feel sorry because he's in one piece. So you don't really <laughs> care much bad. about him." And I believe the response was kind of vague, like you know, well, he's a cop. He's part of him. He's part he's of his job. Cop. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't take that personal. So sure. I did what I had to do, and I do it again tomorrow if I had to. Except perhaps I'll do it under different conditions. Uh, I'll probably, you know, take more affirmative, stronger actions mm -hmm. instead of thinking what I should do. One thing people have to understand: when a police officer is out there, right, is on off duty. Once you get involved into something, once you say police, yes, you 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 got yourself into a contract that only you are now the judge, the jury, okay, because, and the prosecutor, if you want to call it, and the defense attorney. Because right now there's no teacher from the academy, mm -hmm. no old timer holding your hands, you're on your own. That's right. When your finger on that trigger, it's God and you. Yep. It's the only two things matter. And it takes seconds to make a decision. Yes. Seconds, and it, it, like I say, when I say seconds, that seem like hours 
when you were waiting for it back up. Yes. But when you have to make a decision, it takes seconds. And that seconds is the matter of you being in the coffin mm-hmm. or you being alive today. Regardless of your race, regardless of the race. But thank God the gentleman was, you know, African American. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus. I would if you if I was a white a Caucasian officer, yeah. I believe I believe the way they went after me, even the way the department went after me. Yep. When I was in the room, I nearly I nearly quit. When I was sitting in the room, as like this, and I seen about it's five to ten people with white shirts, and the the attorney for the city, Mr. Bill Genet, <clears throat> yep, called me outside the door. He says, "Repeat after me, <laughs> based on my client, advi- based on my counsel advice, I have nothing to say at this time." He asked me three times to say, <laughs> "Okay." My mind was going to, uh, I'll say it's like, a, like an aircraft, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that 757 is in my head flying. I didn't even comprehend exactly what he's saying. You know? Cause, and then I'm sitting there. And I heard I'm so-and-so from the 48, I'm so-and-so from the, you know, white shirts, you know, identify themselves, introduce themselves. Then the district attorney, you know, for the record, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm police, police officer French Jerome. Okay, and now that, and so she went on and read me my rights. Oh, wow. I had my head down, and now I'm that, it's almost like I'm hearing everything they're saying. Mm-hmm. See, I have good memory. But, yes, you did. But I, I just put it in the bank, in the back, and I'm thinking, now I'm going to get handcuffs? Right. What did, what, this guy had a toy, maybe? But the noise in the the fire coming, I'm having vision of what just happening, and yet these people are reading me my right. They never told me in the academy that my right was going to be reading to me. It's the other. I've been reading people's right from the time I got in the street, and now it's been written to me on the other side. So I feel like I'm on the other side of the law. Sure. And I remember she read me, uh, was a female, and she read me my rights, and, uh, and at this time that I have read you your rights, if you have anything to say at this time, and I look at Mr. Jenny that's standing next to me <laughs> with his right hand on my shoulder. He look at me. It's almost like, hey, what did I say, kid? Yep. And I repeat exactly what he says. And then he says, so concluded the, this interview. It was like a rock. I feel like I was on the 747 plane. And now they removed the plane, the airplane on my shoulder. Yep. You know, that I can breathe. I'm like, okay, that's all. And I'm looking around. I'm still looking for who's got the handcuffs coming in my hands. <laughs> that's... True story yep. of uh, a shooting incident, which not only, you know, you feel like you did everything in accord, you know, in according to the law, but what you, your own department. So when a police officer, I can speak for New York City, get involved into a shooting, the department step aside, let the DA find out who you are, what, what, what was done, before they step in to pat you in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. I received Alphonse de Mato's Medal of, of Merit in front of the media. That's the, he awarded you that. There was a chief named Salvaggi. He was the deputy bow commander and the chief Scott. He was the African-American chief of Manhattan North. Yes. Got into an argument with, with, with the board mm-hmm. of the medals. So it was because another guy from Manhattan got the same medal for, I think, uh, either shooting or arrest a guy with a machete. Oh, wow. So I didn't know there was competitions. You know, I, I mean, honestly, the medal cost $2. Sure. Okay. But the value behind it, it's a different story. And I didn't know uh, my name was put in for a medal of whatever it is. So now it's about my bow prestigious, you know, that I should have got but the guy called it a combat cross. And I'm like, what the heck's the difference? I'm alive. <laughs> but prestigious bow chiefs was, you know, had it into themselves, which I didn't know. Like I said, I know nobody in the police department prior to that, so I have no clue right. what those things was all about. Uh, subsequently, I walked at midnight. Captain Holdman said, you're looking for something, you know, that I said, well, I don't want to, the two six precinct used to call the hall of the donuts. Cause it used to be so quiet at night. <laughs> so I, he says, uh, would you prefer to, why don't you pick a shift? You know, where, you know, and I'm like, I, the rookies, have 
preference? That's Captain Osman that told me. He said that. He said, yeah, yeah, well, well what do you want? I says, okay, boss, uh, perhaps I'll walk to midnight. <laughs> More quiet. Of course, soon I walk to midnight, things change. How long were you off for the shooting, and how long did it take to clear you? Uh, four days. Uh, I was home for four days. Okay. And Captain Osman said, do I want to stay, you know, Come back. Any longer. I said, no, I want to come back. Right. Okay, I feel like I'm, when I'm with the cops, I feel like I'm with my family. But were you yeah. put back to full duty or you had to do light duty or no, did you have to wait I, to be cleared? I was, I was back to full duty. You were. The investigation continued. Sure. Because for two years, I have a car following me home. Yes. FIAU was... Free, uh, I mean, you were told that was going to happen no, or... No. Uh, I... <laughs> took the plate number down one day. It was one, one, and I always say that, whenever you see one white guy, one black guy, most of the time, even before I become a cop, on a on my police car with a suit on, you know the cops, or FBI, or whatever. Mm-hmm. The guy's following me home almost every night. That was part of the assignment. Captain Hosman got transferred to the 114, I believe, and Captain Puccino. Uh, Peter Buccino, God bless his soul, another God, you know, giving person to the police department, you know, because you don't find, you rarely find those kind of guys these days. I mean, mm-hmm. they, 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 believe me, those guys were, they were, to me, they were like commanding officers uh, wearing a priest, a priest jacket. That's how they act, that's how they talk, that's how they, 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 they treat us sure. as cops. Uh, Peter Buccino, uh, uh, become the commanding officer. So I explained that to him one day. He says, uh, well, if you have family in Canada, why don't you take them for a ride? See how far they'll go. <laughs> Fill up your car with gas, he didn't fly you up to Canada. <laughs> and then he says, uh, uh, he said, I see that concern you a lot. So uh, uh, you take any plate down? I see, I described the car and I described. And guess where the guys were, the office were, next door to us. Wow. Yes, the next building there was field, uh, field service, uh, at that time, they called it FIAU. And soon I took off, they, they took off to me. And later on, a year and a half later, I got a letter that says I was exonerated. And they went away. A, a investigation completed. A year and a half later, okay. What a, what a job for them. <laughs> you know, but when you look at the police department itself, sure. okay, uh, the facts in surrounding the shooting. See, when you're gonna when you're gonna treat your officers like this, which yes. I'm glad they did an investigation, they did, but I did nothing wrong. Sure. But you know, look at the time you waste. Yes. And a shooting that's appeared to be a legitimate shooting, just to please the public. Yes. Wasting taxpayers' money with all this stuff, questioning me. Because what you did to me now, if I see the same thing tomorrow, should I close my eyes or just right. or hop on a cab, says, you know, mind my business? Right. I okay. ask that question a lot of times. You know, so what you have, the way you treated, you know, you, even if you had them pets, the way you treat the pets, that's how they're going to react to you. Yes. With, with conscience. You know, you take a lot of conscience for you to say, you know what, those are the politicians, those are the commanding officers, whatever, whatever you, but the other people that you sworn to serve, mm-hmm. they're going to be a victim if you don't do nothing. And remember, they could be your sister, your brother, your sisters, your, your aunt, whoever they are. Did you seriously consider quitting? Uh, actually, when I was in the room when my right has been read to me, uh-huh. I nearly waved my hand and said, okay. I quit. You know, I quit. You know, arrest me. Do whatever I got to do. Did you at any other point, though, seriously consider it? When I was home after I spoke to Captain Holzman, mm-hmm. uh, before he called me, an hour before he called me, I was uh, going through a lot. The instructors in the academy have said that if it's not for you, don't stay because you're liable to get killed. Right. Uh, Officer Guajanti, Alphonse Guajanti, says some of you will be in a shootout the first day you got in the street. Some of you, and he told all of us to look at each other in the class, mm-hmm. company 69, 87, 69. He said, look at each other, because some of you may not be around. Either quit, fired, shot, kill. In no time, by the time you hit the street. And at that time, I says, 
okay, why me? 17 months? I mean, really five months in the street. Why me? Maybe I should quit. <laughs> you know, bad luck. Mm -hmm. And when the captain called me with his attitudes and with his enthusiasm, with his uh, word of support, I said, hmm, that's like a family member. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I should stick around. Because <laughs> that's what I always want to be. Having gone back to duty, and then subsequently, you know, I was transferred to the organized crime uh, in Brooklyn North. Uh, the first day, I was going to buy some crack on uh, Elton uh, on Pitkin, and Elton and Pitkin. Hey, guys, two feet from me, a shot fired. You can smell the gunpowder. <laughs> I'm shaking in my pants. I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? Now I got no vest, nothing on, no badge, nothing. I'm an undercover. My first day, my training instructor was still in the car, named Johnny Walker. And the information we got that there was supposed to be, you know, some uh, Jamaican with red with dreads selling uh, weed, which is marijuana, out of the van. The information was wrong. It was selling crack. I asked for the wrong thing. <laughs> Thank God, my training instructor, Johnny Walker, he said, just, just go like this or ask for two. If I had to say, give me two bags of weed, Mm -hmm. The guy knows I would have been a cop. Because unfortunately, he was selling crack. It wasn't weed. So I got two valve crack, pink top color, because the crack valves have different identifications on the cap color. <laughs> That's what caused the shootout in the street. The black top, white top, pink top, blue top, yellow top, each top identifying a different seller in the street corner. Wow. Oh. That's interesting. If the blacktop happy to make the person get high quicker, in other words, good stuff. Good stuff, yeah. More people are buying blacktops. So now they no longer go to the guy selling pink or yellow. So what the guy in the yellow and black and, and yellow and pink do? Hmm. All my customers, all the customers going to the guy selling black in the corner. I'm going to start selling a few volumes. Of black top myself. That's when the turf war. Now you're selling my brand, okay? You got to get off the corner. That's what caused most of the time wow. the turf shooting in the street corner. Wow. Okay. So I bought these two vials. I got into a, 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 a an unmarked two door car Johnny had with a paper plate, and I had whoa 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 whoa. It was housing cops pulling us over. <laughs> I start shaking now. This is the first time in my life that I'm holding drugs illegally. <laughs> my hands sweating. I'm shaking. He says, and I quote, I remember Johnny says, relax. You put both windows down. Mm -hmm. The cops, watch the cops come into the window. He says, push the mat on the floor with your right feet. And his ID card is on the floor under the mat. So the cops come into the window and, 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 and so we all like this. He says, uh, we're on the job, man, undercover. And he said, look on the floor. So the guy look, and then the guy, you know, like, give us a warning, you know, verbal warning, like, you know, hey, to make it look good. Sure. I'm still I'm still holding my hand. Johnny <laughs> driving two blocks away. I'm still got my hands off. Bad. You know, and, and he's like, hey, man, you okay? Yeah, put your hand down. Come on. And then the, the supervisor, Lieutenant Powers, <clears throat> called us on the radio. <laughs> then we met in the corner. He said, how do you feel? Uh, he says, okay. I said, can I have two days off? So they give me two days off. The two days that I asked for, it was hard to get to narcotics at that time. Sure. Because you'd only been on how long at this point? Like I said, the totality, I only spent two years in patrol total. total, total. Uh, so uh, I was, I had to make a decision. Do I want to go back to patrol? In that case, the guy's going to say, this is hard to get. How do you lose this position? Right. Are you scared or something? Right. So you had this macho stuff in you. For one thing, you have the other stuff in you like, you know what? I'd rather be a, you know, a loser and go and back. Alive. <laughs> and and I, I went home for two days to make a decision. Should I say, you know, I want to go back to patrol or not? And the, th this, the, this, the third day when I came back, the commanding officer says uh, of, the, of the organized crime control, of, uh, normally I remember the names too, you know. He said, hmm, I think... This guy should go to major case. Okay, what's the difference the in the two? Well, the 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 low level 
by street, call it uh, buy and bust. Uh-huh. It's by the Valor Crack, uh, by one in the corner, and then the move, team move in, got the, sweep the guy. The major case unit, it's a continuous investigation. So you'll be buying higher than that, like, you know, uh, eight ball, a kilos, half a kilos, and try to identify all the players. So that could even last a year you buying drugs. So you stay undercover longer. It's a long-term operation. Gotcha. As opposed to the short-term, which is the street corner okay. stuff. And the movement to the district from, from TNT was our uh, brand name. At that time, when people heard TNTs coming, mm-hmm. guys jump over the barbed wire. <laughs> okay, it was, because <laughs> they figured it was the Marines coming. <laughs> uh, we turned out of the Navy, Brooklyn Navy Yard. Mm-hmm. Then the district was uh, on an old precinct that become a landmark, the old knife war on McGinnis Boulevard. It's right, it's a regular building. Okay, they moved me to the district. Uh, and I was feeling impressed. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm valuable now <laughs> because of the languages that I spoke. Uh, Which you learned on your own, yes. I assume? Uh, yes, uh, but basically French, it's, you know, uh, back to Haiti. And right. You have to have an education. If you're from Haiti, you know, you do not speak French automatically. Really? You speak Creole, which is uh, yeah. Swahili. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, but you have to be educated. For example, my mother was a college grad, and she's, you know, she speaks French. My father was not. Uh, unfortunately, my father was not educated as my mother, so he speaks Creole. My mother says, so once you speak French and Creole, it's two different languages, not the same. Right. And then, of course, this uh, basic Spanish, which I learned in the street growing up in Washington Heights. So, uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, my uh, uh, acquired language. English, so now I become like you know proficient in whatever I do. So whenever there's something there, they send me, mm-hmm. and I got over. And I learned to improvise, such as my body style, how I react physically when I go. If you give me the information, tell me who's selling narcotics. For some reason, I can sit down and determine how I can plan myself. They leave it up to me, how I can get over. Mm-hmm. So I, I sometimes I act like a cripple. Sometimes I have a, a, scr- a, a crunches under my, my arm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have band, band you know, uh, with catch-ups, uh, blood, you know, a sling around my neck. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I, 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 I pretend to be, you know, a, a real nutcase or a handicap. And I can physically do my body and pretend like, all my legs are done. <laughs> so if you give me the information, I can get over. So it become a, 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 a teaching pattern. So now I have to teach other undercovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are those who try to copy cat my physical reactions and get laughed at by even by the bad guys. Say, hey, what are you guys, twin? I said, Larry, what are you doing? There was another cover was training. I said, Larry, what are you doing? Because I can't look behind me. Mm-hmm. He said, I will try to walk like you. And the, guy, the bad guy says, hey, what is this? So the bad guy and I start talking for me. He said, man, you should be telling him, the other cop, who is my backup. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Not because the guy is crippled, you try to, you know, make jokes out of it. And, <laughs> and tell him that ain't right. And they chase him out of the neighborhood, you know. Right. And it's funny how this thing come about. <laughs> uh, so I become like, uh, I wouldn't say a movie star, but a pro at it. <laughs> One night, I bought uh, three Vala Crack purple tops from an 11-year-old kid. Uh, that's the night that I didn't sleep. And my son was about that age, my uh, younger son. Uh, and, I, and I normally told my wife, when I come home, if I don't speak, <laughs> don't ask, let it be. So I sat there until 5 a.m. Uh, I used to live in Long Island. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> he opened up his hands. It was about approximately after 10 p.m. on uh, the street location was on Landon Boulevard in confine of the East New York 75 precinct. <laughs> Landon and Williams. And I remember <laughs> he opened up his, his hands. The minute he opened up his hand, I know he didn't know what he was doing because if I was a real crackhead, I'd take a bunch and run. Sure. He said, how many do you want? You know, so I just took two purple top. There was a heavy set guy sitting in the corner on the stoop. It was a kind of month of October. Uh-huh. The weather kind of changed a little bit. The kid had a, a jean suspender on. Uh, I will never forget that. And that that's that's, you know, stay in my mind for a long time. He will stay there. And 
So now I got to find out who's the real guy is. So I walked by, I said, hey, that kid better don't be selling me beep crap. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't know, it works for me. That's what I need to eat. I'm wearing a beeper kel. You know, at that time the beeper was a transmitter. Mm -hmm. So the boss, the supervisor heard it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what was good enough for me. I remember on the radio, I said, when you get that heavy set guy there, if he give you any lips, you know, uh, you know, do justice. I was so mad to the fact that he's destroying that kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the kid, every time I have to go to family court, I claim to have toothache. I couldn't face the fact going to court to testify. Against that. Okay. Uh, until I tell the DA, can I talk to you? I said, the kid didn't know. And I explained to them mm -hmm. what happened. I said, she, he said, I know. I said, well, please. I don't know how the law works as far as sealing records. But I'm begging you. Yeah. I don't think he knows what he was doing. Right. Because the way he opened up his hand with that bag, I would have taken everything and run. Sure. Okay. He's the gentleman in the corner here that's liable for it. So in any case, uh, until today, I have heard nothing. And what happened, they sent me an affidavit to sign. And I just <laughs> signed it, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, uh, this is what happened, occurred that night. And that, that's all. So hopefully they did the, the right thing by the, by the kid. Sure. So, as I said, in, in, in within the law enforcement, you learn as you go, but you have seen stuff that touchy. If you're a human, you have to understand that. Uh, you don't need, it doesn't take much for you to see a woman with tears in her eyes to know that something is wrong at home. She's right. been beaten or, or you know, uh, treated, you know, uh, domestically at home. So you don't need to go any further but to stick your finger and say, well, something must be wrong with that picture here. Uh, one of the things that I took personal when I was... Uh, a patrol cop was kids yes. and elderly. Yes. Once you once they are victimized, yes. Uh, I, I, I take it out a bit personal, which you shouldn't be, but I do because I'm human. When Captain Machino assigned me to community policing, uh, that, again that was one of the greatest things ever happened. Hmm. You got this perimeter section where you are the community police officer, mm -hmm. so you get to know everybody. Right. They tell you who the dealers are. There's nothing more proud, more, shall I say, achievement for me as to take the old ladies to the bank or to the shopping centers. And then, I mean, you're walking by, they thought it was a wedding. Mm -hmm. They're holding your hand just like when, you know, yeah. And then with the steak, yeah, that guy is always on the stairway. He's always on the stairs. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, don't let her tell me that again. <laughs> Off. The street, so they you you feel like you know yeah. they make you. Of course, the power of the police come from the community. When you have the community behind you, you're so powerful. Sure, you, you, there's nothing can stop you. Sure. Okay, having these elderly, you know, I escort them to the bank when they have to go, you know, mm -hmm. do their little uh, banking, to their groceries, and that's why I say it's community policing. If you, if it's done properly, mm -hmm. it, it it's such a great feelings achievement. And also good for the police department. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, I read in one of the articles when I was doing, again, we've been friends now for several years. Yes. And when I was reading one of the articles about you, and I think it was from the time when you were down in Haiti, mm -hmm. um, and you were talking about how community policing was so much easier in New York City because you had the resources to play basketball with the kids yes. and do those things. But when you were doing the training down in Haiti, that was one of the things that was a real problem for you that you didn't have those resources. Those, those resources. Uh, community policing is something that, that to me, mm -hmm. uh, it's a model. And as I say, when Bill Bratton brought that you know, with full gear, and that David Denkham's off course, uh, can take credit for that, you become part of the community as yes. a partner up with the community so much tight that uh, you know they, they can call it corruption if they want right you are allowed to change your shift yeah, I mean the unit itself uh, was very very shall I say is uh, very uh, dedicated mm -hmm. to the community uh, I used to do meals on wheels <laughs> on my own time wow and there's nothing more satisfactory. You're going up to the projects, bringing food to the elderly. Uh, I remember Captain Vicino says to me, that's why sometimes I stop and think the stuff that I have done, I don't even, 
shall I say, not that I don't recall, I didn't even know that was part of my job mm-hmm. or who, who I was. He says, uh, why are you doing this on your own time? No, no, take the police van. Take the police van, this community, they call it CPAP, Community Policing Officers Van. We have a van nobody can touch. They can touch it for patrol or nothing. <laughs> Just us riding in it. We pick up a truancy, which is kids that didn't want to go to school hiding in the street corner. Mm-hmm. So this is this van attached to this community policy. That had priority. Wow. Okay. Amabe says, take the van. Now, why are you using your own car? He says, uh, no, do it. You know, do it in your, no, no. You can change your clothes, do it on overtime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Uh, yes, yeah, Captain Bugino. He says, I didn't know you were doing this. Uh, somebody said Jerome is doing this in the neighborhood on his own time. And uh, I said, Captain, well, you know, I got nothing to do home. I got no babies at home. So, you know, I figured hey, the least I could do in my time, you know, because I, you know, like I said, I don't hang out in the bar, I don't do nothing. So I'm just going to look at the wall. A true servant. And uh, I said, let me go do this. Uh, he says, no, nah. he says, go ahead, uh, you know, and told the lieutenant, put him in the book. When if I do that, just put me in the book as an assignment. And he says, get over time for that. He says, you know, well deserved. Uh, th- those are the stuff that I says, you do on your own. Uh, as being a cop itself, uh, and the supervisors' reinforcement of you doing it, mm-hmm. uh, support of you doing it, push you even further to do more and more because you see, like I says, that was Harlem, and the commanding officers were white Caucasians. And to me, those guys show more cares mm-hmm. for the neighborhood that they were serving than even the leaders, so called leaders in the neighborhood. Right. You know was done and that's to show you when you're in there you see with your own eyes yes as opposed to what people say meth about uh, police uh, uh, brutality and so forth yes we do have officers that in every gang and everything the police department is a gang itself mm-hmm. you know a, a very large one at the NYPD but an appropriate it's not a violent gang there's violent gang there's, you know, a uh, uh, good gang. We are the good gang, but in our society, yes, there is a few bad ones. As you can see, some of them have resigned, going to jail, whatever it is. Sure. Yes, that's, that is expected. They are human. The police officers that does not come from planet or they went test two babies. Right. They're somebody's daughter, sons, yes. you know, uncles, whatever it is. They're human. They're product of the community. So, you, of course, you're going to find some bad apples. Just like in any profession. In any profession. Churches have them. You bet. Okay. So, when you label, when one of them do something, you label the 44,000. Yes. And yet, remember that now. And as I explained to the people that are arrest some time, mm-hmm. that, or the people that anti-police, you don't confront him by trying to show your, uh, you know, uh, shall I say, the truth versus the, the lie. You explain to them, listen, look at you, right? You have a police record, right? Good. Okay. You're down the street, somebody took your wallet. Who do you call? Right. You call your gang or you call the police? Right. <laughs> the police is a servant. And if you describe the servant, if you try to look at it, look what a servant is. You're healthy. You're standing there with your arm folded. You just told me, this gentleman took your wallet. I'm supposed to chase him. Mm-hmm. So what am I? I'm your servant, right? So how do you like to treat your servant? Do you think you serve it getting a salary that equal to what you 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 getting you know in in a perspective back? Think about it. And the servant there could be your son, your daughter, your your your, your mother, whatever it is. Right. The other stuff, the other corners to this, police officers' behavior. It's very important to how the outcome of an infraction or an incident with a local citizens. Mm-hmm. For example, on a Sunday afternoon which had happened to me, the man ran a red light, okay? He had his three kids, two kids, four kids in the back. Kids always love cops. They're always waving. Even after you give the, the parents a ticket, <laughs> parents like, sit down, you know? And the kid is waving. You give a kid, uh, 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 you stop a car for a red light. The man had his wife or his girlfriend next to him. You do not come to the window and start lecturing him as if he's some baby. Right. Nobody's perfect. Can I talk to you? Can you come out of the car, please, sir? Can I speak to you? Hey, you almost killed me. You almost killed your family. Mm-hmm. You give the guy a lecture that appropriate to what he just done. 
Yes. You should, you'll be surprised how the guy received the citation from you and yet still shaking your hand yes. on his way back to the car. Mm-hmm. Because you just, you know, you, you just take him out and you give him that lecture, but you do degrade him in front. A lot of times, stuff gets escalated because you don't talk to, I don't care if he's Caucasian, black, Hispanic, you do not talk down to a man or a woman in front of their children in the right. car like this. Right. Because how are they going to tell the kids to go to bed tonight when you just make them feel like a baby themselves? Right. You know, and then yet, privately, you give this guy this lecture. He was so happy with the citation that you gave him. He shook your hands. Mm-hmm. He's still waving at you. You know, your job is done. Everybody go home safe. He went back in the car like a hero to sure. his wife and his kids. They probably didn't even know. He probably stick it in his pocket. Didn't even know you gave him a citation. Sure. Whatever happened from that, that point on, it's over. But guess what? Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. So how you account when you encounter the citizens, how you start it, is how it's, that's what define the conclusion at the end of the incident. I just wish that nowadays, because I, I know when I was 16, and as Chris will reiterate, I'm, I'm old, um, but when I started driving, you know, my parents always told me, the police are the authority in the field. You do not challenge it in the field. If they have you do something that is inappropriate, whatever, then you take it up at headquarters later, but not in the field. And I think that's something that the public has lost sight of today, unfortunately. The public lost confidence in the, pul- in the, pul- in the police. Mm-hmm. And that, I have to say, what I attribute to that is that they don't have true leaders anymore. What they have, oh, it's a young bunch of young kids, aggressively, hot-headed, okay, one-way street, okay. They don't, they don't think before mm-hmm. they react. For example, Okay, a police misconduct led into somebody's death, unfortunately, or paralyzed or hurt, so critical hurt, whatever. Okay, there's justice. Mm-hmm. Now, the scale of justice, I must say, does always work the right. way you want it. Right. When you break Mrs. John's window's grocery store that's serving the community, yes. A grocery store in the community serving the community because instead of going two miles away to buy milk or diapers, right. you go downstairs and get it. Right. It's very, very handy. So Mrs. John making business, but at the same time, it's appropriate for you to get the stuff right away. So when you met with the police, you go break Mrs. Stone's windows and stole her stuff in there. Is that called justice? Who is the victim there? Who is the real victim there? It's Mrs. Jones. Sure. Who has nothing to do with, with the misconduct that happened. Right. Okay. Right. So where's, how do you face yourself in the mirror who says, I just got justice today because I grabbed those TVs, those laptops. Okay. Is that justice? No. 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 You're just degrading. Yes. The scale of justice that you could have had. Like I says, doesn't mean that justice always works. Right. But you have to think. Who's the real victim? Yes. Okay. Secondly, educations. It's very, edu- very, very important to educate your kids. I told my kids, under no circumstances, would you challenge the police? That's right. Let me deal with it later on if you feel like you know you were wrong. Okay. Oh, even if I have to go to jail, let me deal with it. Mm-hmm. But at that time, when you get pulled over, first of all, high officer, remember your father is a cop. Right. The salary, how, what you eat from, the salary that I fed you with, come from the police department, yes. which is the community's uh, endorsement money. So thereby mean that my resources come from that community there. Right. So let's work together to keep it going, not destroy it. Absolutely. You do not, at no time, and that's why the scale is thing. When the police stop you, 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 the aggressor now, what the F you stop you? I know my right. Not go roll my window down. I don't have to. Okay. Yep. I don't have to put my window down. Of course. But you know what? If you had just put the window down, you identify yourself, you're on your way. Absolutely. File a complaint later on if you didn't like the way he speak to you, he or she speak to you. Absolutely. Okay. That's why we have the complaint bureau for. If you're not satisfied with the local police station, well, call the uh, attorney general's office. Educate yourself. 
okay? Try to find where else can you get help. Don't think you can get the help, but just by listening to those who says, we, 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 because when your Baha'is in jail, yes. okay, they're home watching TV, eating the ice cream and stuff, okay? Right. And say, well, hey, too bad, okay? When you're dead, like I always told my kids, when you get shot, you're dead, I'm the loser, okay? Justice, I don't care how much money they reward later on, you're dead. Sure. Okay? And if you had just comply. Yep. I said, how many times you see the police, whenever you see a police pull you out of the car, handcuff you or push you against the car, there's something wrong with him. Because most of the time when you come out of the car or when he says, come out of the car, you come out of the car, you got your hands up, put your hand behind your back, you comply. Sure. You put your hand behind your back because if you don't, he's going to make you. Yes. And then make you, in the process of making you, it may not be happening very gently. Sure. Whereas you could have helped yourself. Sure. Okay. Communities. Now you have cameras, you have everything else. You yes. know. It appears now for a police officer to make a car stop, he need a lawyer to be, he or she need a lawyer to yep. be with them. Yep. You're making the job more difficult. Again, as I reiterate, that police are not robots. They come from a community. They're somebody's husband, daughters, sons, whatever it is. They're the product of the community that they serve most of the time. Okay, so when you don't care much about them, let's take for example defunding the police. Yes, that's a good plan. It's a lot of people misunderstand the what they mean by that defunding the police. They, they associate that with money, monetary, as opposed to uh, prioritize. Mm-hmm. Most of the myth behind defunding the police is to let's let's make these guys you know the last. Thing we can think about for the day, okay. Mm-hmm. But yet, what happened when your house is on fire, your wife having a baby, the poor police officers, just like me, we, we're not doctors, we're not you know nurses, call the police. That's the first word out of your mouth, absolutely. You didn't say call the fire department, right? Call the police, yes. You load the police with so much load that you forget that he's not uh. Uh, a doctor. Right. Y'all wear many hats, you know? according to the public. Yes. <laughs> so you got to respect that. Think about the men, young men and women that left the house today, all healthy, you know, nothing wrong with them. They come back on a box. Mm-hmm. If they told you that you was going to get killed today, for how much money? Would you take the money or would you, would you uh, go out there? There isn't enough okay? money. Yeah. So you have to put yourself in the officer's family's shoes yes. to understand, even when the police misbehave, Mm-hmm. Okay, even the police misbehave. We have had cops, they're human. Okay, had hard time at home, which that's when they say is to seek for help. Well, and the public doesn't stop to think too that when the officer stops you for running a red light or speeding, you don't know that 20 minutes before that he may have been on a fatality where a child died because somebody ran a red light or something. And they can't just shift gears because they are human. So they see a child murdered, basically, because somebody was stupid and ran a red light. And then the next car stop they make is somebody running a red light because they were texting or not paying attention. You know, as human beings, they can't just shift those gears. And it's not that they're mean and come up and snatch you out of the car, but their demeanor, they're still trying to process the death of a child which is one of the things that we talk about under the shield, fills up that psychological garbage can, like you said earlier. The things with children and elderly really affect law enforcement officers. Y'all are caregivers. That, that's one of the reasons you go into this line of work, is to help people. Not for the money, not, not because I get to carry a gun and shoot people. That's crazy stuff that people think. Um, but... I, I don't think the public understands that. And a lot of that is because administrations also don't want things like that put out about officers being human beings. And I, I think that's a bad decision, personally. Um, I think we need to be showing the more human side of law enforcement officers. And also uh, accountabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Politicians... Uh, ranking members of police departments fail to do so. Uh-huh. You have to be able to say, when the chips fall down, mm-hmm. I'm responsible. Yes. He or she works for me. Yes. 
take responsibility and you'll find less problem in the street. Mm-hmm. But when you start throwing right back, you send them out there to make arrests, you send them out there to serve search warrants, thing goes bad, all of a sudden you back out, they look behind you, you're gone. Absolutely. Okay. So how, see that a lot. Okay, how do you expect how do you expect the rest of them to perform their duty lawfully with a mentality that I'm doing what you know what the law required when I look behind me, you're gone. Sure. Okay. So this right, is, we need to take a time out for a minute. You're supposed to be somewhere at noon. It's five till. He's got somebody coming about a refrigerator. Chris has to leave. No, I got to leave too. To go have some medical tests run. Okay. You got to come back. Okay. So let's let's wrap this up. Okay. And he can make two episodes out of this. Correct. Uh, but we we got hours with this man. Um, but what I want to do now is we'll go back on. He'll cut all of this. We'll go back on, give us some final thoughts, okay? And then we'll thank you for coming on, and we'll ha- definitely have you back because I want you to talk about everything that happened in Jordan and all that stuff too, if you're willing to do that. So I'm going to ask a question. And yes. Then, okay. Yes. You ready? Yep. Go ahead. So for the the newer officers that are starting today and have the two years on or the 17 months like you had when you told your story, what advice would you give them? Well, for one thing is that do not look at monetary value. Okay, don't think you're going to do this because <laughs> you're looking for a high-paid job. <laughs> Two, do not let the human side of you walk away from you because okay. that's what's going to help you succeed. Three, understand that every action you take, it's between you and your God. Do not depend on the public communities, or your ranking members, do what's right, sooner or later, the truth will come out. Can I get you to add something to that too? That it's okay to reach out for help, to talk to somebody. Indeed, you are not a robot. Right. If you fail to understand that you have a pro- don't have problems, then you're not, uh, I don't think you're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Because anytime, even if you help a kid, an elderly, or you help somebody deliver a baby in the back of a car, whatever it is, having delivered a baby in the back of the car, it's a glorified thing. Most of us cops in New York, you know, being in the newspaper, everything else. But yet you still need somebody to talk to about it. Because it wasn't part of the job when you sign up. Right. They didn't say you was going to face that. Because you could do 20 years. You never pull your gun out of the holster. You never deliver a baby behind a car. You never even respond to a, a, a death uh, incident. Okay, so you have to reach out, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, in New York City, we have a problem because when people talk to the shrink of the department, that go on the records and, and become a problem. You got the rubber gun squad, don't you? Yes, That's what okay. they call they take it. Take your guns York. away, okay, yeah. and stuff like that. And later on, they realized. They were chasing people away. They were making, it was harder. You were, it was causing the cops to harm themselves even more. Yes. Than coming to you for help. Yes. So every police department should have resources. Should somehow make it part of the, shall I say, it's part of the institutions. To have somebody they can talk to confidentially. Okay. And it's not that you're reaching out because you reach, you know, the top of the level. Because had if you had started when you start slower, you won't get that far. Keep the garbage out of the garbage can. So you do need to have a leeway, an ent- a, a, a venue where you can reach out, where you can even ventilate, if you want to call it. Sure. Okay, that's part of it. Hey, even in the jailhouse, they have uh, people that uh, the prisoners can talk to. So a cop's... Don't think because you wear the uniform, you're above all, you, you're made of steel. You're still a human. And at the end of the day, the sooner that you can reach out for help, the quicker that you can find a way back to your duty, back to your line of duty, back to your what you have been doing, and sit up kindly on your shoulder. Because sooner or later, it's going to cause you to react in, in a fashion that may be devastated to yourself and to others around you. And your family. And your family. Okay. And Franza, we cannot thank you enough, dear. I, you know, this is such an honor for us. And it, we just are, we're going to have you back. There's so many more stories 
that you and I have shared that I know that I want you to to share with our with our audience. And so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this edition up and say thank you. I'm just so honored to have you as a friend. And your text, every time you text me, it means so much to me. And we need to spend more time together. But we're going to get you back on here again. Because we're going to have... It's uh, always a pleasure to, uh, to, do, to do this. Well. And uh, I think it's a positive aspect. Well, at Under the Shield, we, under we the appreciate shield. you. And, and again... Thank you for having us. We will, we will have you back. Uh, you got anything else, Chris? Anybody needs help, don't be... Uh, Afraid to reach out, and the phone number is? Um, you can call the 855-889-2348, or you can find us on the web at undertheshield.com, Facebook, Under the Shield Foundation. And again, we never ask your name. We never ask who you work for. And if uh, you have a topic you want Franz to cover, when we get him to come back, we'll make sure he knows that, and we will hit him up with all these other questions that I know we'll come up with. But please reach out to us at Under the Shield. You and your families, we appreciate all of our first responders, our military and their families and the sacrifices they make. And we just want to say thank you again, friends, for, for being here. And I thank you for having me on the... Absolutely. Everybody we'll stay safe soon. out there. Yeah, stay safe and take care and come back and visit us again. Oh, thank you.